0: This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station.
1: Tonight, a chat with a former socceroo who built up a messiah-like, I said a messiah-like following during his four seasons with Sabah in the M League, bagging 110 goals in just 106 appearances. He's been dubbed the Ginger Maradona. Welcome to the show, Scott Oller and Shaw.
2: Off the of ball kicks off now on BFM 89.9. Wow, that's an unbelievable welcome. Thank you, Ross. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: I, I feel it, it, like I'm in the company of, of like royalty or something,
2: Scott. <laughs> Seriously. No, uh, please.
1: Please, no, mate. No, honestly. That's
2: not, that's not the truth at all. But, uh, but you, you are very, very kind in, in, your, in your choice of words.
1: More choice words coming up. Listen, guys, if you want to tweet us, it's at BFM Radio. Follow us on Instagram and on Facebook as well. It's BFM Football. Uh, We're talking to Scott Oller and Shaw then, um, former soccer. Let's start with now, here and now. Uh, You're in KK in Sabah. How are you coping with lockdown, Scott?
2: I guess, Ross, the same as everybody. Um, You know, when your highlight of the day is to put a mask on and go to the supermarket and buy some food, then you know that it's um, uncharted times, isn't it? uh, But, you know, it's something that has to be done. No one expected this. And, um, you know, to be honest with you, Ross, I've been really impressed by how all of the people in this country have gone about this. They have um, basically accepted it and, you know, 99% 99% of people have done the right thing. So it's been
1: great for me to, to actually see see that from the, from the from these people here. Yeah, no, it's great you said that, because we, we read daily about stories of the UK and the US, and, and that's really scary stuff.
2: Really scary, yeah. I mean, I think about six weeks ago, there was pictures of Bondi Beach and, uh, you know, Bondi Beach was packed with people so I was extremely worried about Australia as well but you know thankfully Australia got their act together as well as well as here in Malaysia um, so you know I think um, everyone's done well but now we just have to wait and see and you know hope that the good times come back sir.
1: Yeah indeed indeed so, so what's what's the daily Scott Olleran lockdown routine then what, what time do you rise uh, well, in the morning?
2: i'm an early riser ross because normally i take my daughter to school at about 7 a.m so i haven't been able to get out of that habit um, so normally i wake up early around 6 a.m and have a coffee have a shower go into my little office and put on my australian radio listen to the talk back radio try to do a bit of work and that normally takes up the whole morning until about 12 have some lunch then I might have a nap. That's an old footballer's habit. I used to have a nap as a footballer, and now at the age of 52, I'm still having a nap after lunch. Uh, then I try and do a bit of exercise. We're lucky enough to have a treadmill in the house, so I do a, you know, try to do half an hour on the treadmill. And then normally around four o'clock, I treat myself to a cup of beers. And dinner at six. Watch a bit of Netflix after that, and uh, i normally uh, normally in bed sleep around 10 p.m. Yeah.
1: That, that sounds like quite an ideal lifestyle, with or without the lockdown, to tell you the truth.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I'm used to, so I've tried to maintain that.
1: Brilliant. So, so what, what what have you been watching on Netflix? I, I ask that of everybody.
2: Sunderland Till I Die, The English Game. Um the one about Aaron Hernandez. oh uh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
2: Which was quite interesting. And the latest one I've been watching, um, about Michael Michael Jordan, which is called The Last Dance, which I found found that absolutely riveting. I couldn't stop watching it. It was really interesting and the intensity and the standards that he set was just unbelievable. And for me, um, is him and Tiger Woods are probably the greatest sportsmen that I've
1: ever seen. Brilliant, brilliant. Well said. And it is well worth a watch, uh, The Last Dance on Netflix. All right, let's talk about you, Scott. Uh, You're now a a very successful football agent. Players you've brought through like Junior, um, um, uh, Matt, uh, Darren Locke, Corbin Ong, Stuart Walk, Sam Somerville. These are just some I can remember. Brendan Gann. Well, Brendan, Brendan Gann is, of at the course. Start
2: when he went to Kelantan, yes. So,
1: so uh, do, you, do you actively look out for. How do you keep tab of Malaysian players abroad?
2: Well, this whole mixed, mixed heritage thing, Ross, it happened by. To be perfectly frank, it was a complete accident. Um, what happened was that Junior Edistor's mum asked me, she was a friend of us here. And she called me up and said, "Can the son come to Kodakinabalu and and do some work experience?" I had a sports tourism business going, and I was running a lawn bowls tournament. Yes, you heard it right, a lawn bowls tournament. So yeah, yeah, I'm going to come back to that. And he did some work. I had him picking up, uh, you know, crates of water, and ha- you know, I actually had him doing a bit of work. Um, and one night, I said to him, Uh, mate we're going to go and play indoor soccer and he said oh really he said can I come and play I said yeah I said of course you can and he came and played indoor soccer and I could see that he could actually play a bit I said mate you look like you're okay I said have you played a you know I mean do you actually play he said he said I played Voxel Conference back in the UK I said really he said yeah and then my mind started sort of ticking over I said do you have a Malaysian passport he said yes and with that, I got on the phone to Robert Alberts, told him about Junior. He said, "Yeah, no problem. Send him down, and and I'll have a look at him." He went to Sarawak. Robert called me about ten days later
1: and said, "Yeah, he's not bad." He said, "I want to sign him," and that's how it all started. Brilliant! What what a, what a great way to to kick it all off. And <clears throat> let's face it, the players you've you've brought in. I mean, people like like Brendan now, the toast of the country. You you you're single-handedly upping our fifa rankings here scott I- i'd like to thank you for that
2: uh, I, ross i had a very small part to actually play in it you know i mean what happened after junior then i started getting phone calls from different people and then a lot of players you know started actually calling me so then you do a little bit of research Um, and you do what you have to, you know, then then the actual process starts. But, you know, for me, when I look at players like, you know, I mean, if you look at players like Brendan, Matt Davies, Corbin Ong, Junior Erdistal, Darren Locke, Sam Somerville, um, and I see that the national team is doing better now. And, you know, three or four of those players are a very important um, part of the national team now. So... It makes, me, it makes me feel quite happy that I was involved. But I only played a small part. It's the players that have that have come here and they've dedicated themselves. They've actually immersed themselves into the culture of the country. Um, they understand, you know, and they've taught themselves how to mix with the local players. So I think it's the players that, you yeah, know, they're the ones that really um, deserve all of the credit.
0: Yeah,
1: absolutely. You you must, you, you wouldn't be human if you didn't feel a, a tingle in your heart. But, I mean... I went to watch the game, Ross. I went to watch
2: the game Malaysia against Indonesia at the Jalil Stadium. And I must admit, the performances of, of the players that night and I, and I watched that game and I said to myself, you know what, I said, I'm starting to feel quietly optimistic about Malaysian football, the national team, they are performing a lot better. I mean, let's not forget what's been done down south at JDT. You know, I mean, if you think seven or eight years ago JDT wasn't even around, yeah. And TMJ's he has come in and he set standards. And for him, he is a winner. And for him, it's all about standards, and you can't drop your standards. And it's, it's to do with the players and the facilities and the coaches and the ambition. Um, so, you know, I think the tea have also helped. I think the NFDP has been also good. Um, there's a lot more emphasis on youth development now. And I think Malaysia finally understands that that's the key. We have to develop players. Um, and, you know, hopefully over the next three, four, five, six years, we're going to see some really good players coming coming through.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you you, you talk about these these half Malaysians, and and you've concentrated on on mainly Australia, but that that must be just the tip of the iceberg. You think about, what, half Malaysian Brazilians, Argentinians, (laughs) USA, do you know what I mean?
2: That would be that would be lovely. I, I've checked everywhere now, Ross, and uh, I'm starting to think that we've found as many as we can find. But then again, they, they just keep sort of cropping up every so often. So, um, you know, I believe that if one of your parents is Malaysian, I think that's fine. You know, I think um, in that case that you have Malaysian blood and you come here. But the most important thing is that players have to come here and it's got to be for the right reasons. You know, they've got to be here to try and help the country, not just for them themselves. And like I said earlier, they've got to understand what the actual culture is and what the players here are, you know. It's not easy. If you're a Malaysian player and this Mutsale comes in half-blood and he's going to take your spot, it's not easy, you know. Yeah, so man, um, I, think, I think Junior tells the story of when he first came in, And he was in the national team camp and he was the only mixed heritage player there and none of the boys would actually talk to him. But a week later, he was calling me and he was happy. He said, oh, the boys are fantastic. They've accepted me. They finally accepted me. You know, he said the first week they wouldn't talk to me. I started speaking a little bit of their local language. I went to the local to the local hawker store with them. He said, and now they accept me. I said, Junior, that's what you have to do. I said, you are not a Westerner anymore. You are Malaysian. So act like a Malaysian.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. Well said. And, and in many ways, Junior Elstal really kind of set the precedent for all the others to follow and, and all that. You
2: know, Ross, if it wasn't for Junior Edestall, there'd be no Brendan Gant, no Matt Davis, no Corbin Om, no Sam Somerville, no Darren Locke. There'd be none of these players here. Um, so they all have a debt of gratitude, not to me, but... To my, my, what I call my adopted son, Junior.
1: Well, uh, let, let's stick with Junior. D- does his sartorial elegance rub off on you at all, Scott? <laughs> Not at all. I dress like a bum, whereas where
2: whereas Junior dresses in the most immaculate dress sense that you've ever seen. Um, he likes the good life, whereas I'm quite happy to be to be you know to be down in the local pub with the boys watching the English Premier League. So, but um, but he's a great kid, and uh, he's gone back to England now. But he's been in contact with me recently, and he's as fit as he's been for a long, long time. And he has aspirations to come back for what he calls Part Two. So, obviously, I told him we have to wait and see now with the situation. But uh, 2021, then we might see part two of the Junior Edelstall story.
1: Right. Anyone listening want a signing? Uh, get in touch with me first. I, 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 need my, <laughs> I need my piece of the pie as well. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no problem, Ross. No
1: worries. So when you watch EPL, what team do you cheer for most?
2: Oh, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but I've always been a Newcastle United fan.
1: Yeah, and, no, no, I uh, understand that. I understand it totally. We're, we're about to be taken
2: over by a very controversial takeover, as you know, with the Saudi Arabians. And uh, I'm not sure what I think of it, Ross. But anyway, I guess we'll just have to wait and see what happens.
1: Favourite Newcastle United player then and now.
2: Where do you, where do you, where do you, you know, I mean, you've got Beardsley, you've got Waddle, you've got Keegan. Now, I couldn't say any of them because none of them excite me, you know. (laughs) But back in the old days, Beardsley, Keegan, Waddle, Glenn, what's his name, Glenn, Glenn Rhoda, who was the centre-back, John Beresford. Who was the left back? Uh, you know, the, the fans, anyone who has watched Sunderland till I die, they'll know about the passion of the fans. Well, then you can times that by another 100 when you come to the actual Newcastle fans. They are absolutely crazy. So, But let's see what happens. And uh, if it's meant to be, I guess the Southampton will come in and pour their money in and will sit Newcastle in the top six at the end of 2021.
1: Yeah, yeah. you're voicing the the thoughts of every single Newcastle United fan. (laughs) Let's hope that happens. We're going for our our very short break. When we come back, then Scott on his playing days. Stay tuned. Where's the
0: try? And he's always prepared to give it a go. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Captain leader legend off the ball on BFM 89.9
1: Hey thanks for sticking with us off the ball in lockdown day I don't know 5989 or something <laughs> We're talking we're talking to Scott Oller and Shaw uh, Scott's now based in KK in, in Sabah. um Scott, your, your playing days, I, I, I know it spans uh, quite quite a, a period. You started in 86. Uh, just to cut long story short, you played for, what, four Australian sides before you made a move to Walsall in, in the UK in 1992. Yes. I want to hear about the Walsall move. How long, uh, what was it like?
2: Well, you might remember, Ross, a famous Arsenal player, Frank McClintoff, Yeah. Um, he had an agency in England with his partner Graham Smith, and they contacted me and said um, that that they know about me as a player. Uh, told me about England. Um, said there's a club in England that would like you to come come over and then have a trial. And I said okay. I said which is the club? And they said Warsaw. And I said, Oh, really? Really? And and I must have got confused. because I'm talking about England and I'm talking about something else and the line wasn't the best. And I got off the I, I got off the actual phone and I went in and I said to my father, I said, um, I said, I'm going I'm going overseas. He said, Where? I said, I'm going to Warsaw. I said, I think it's in Poland. <laughs> and uh, said, <laughs> <I, laughs> I only found out later that it was Walsall, W-A-L-S-A-W. <laughs> so they sent me the tickets, and I said, "Oh, I said I'm not going to Warsaw. I'm not going to Poland. I'm going to I'm going to Birmingham." So I went. I went to Birmingham, uh, and I got picked up at the end by the gaffer, whose name was Kenny. His name was Kenny Hibberts.
0: Ah, I, um, wolves. X, X-Wolves X-Wolves. yeah, X Wolves,
2: yeah. Yes, you will remember him, Ross, because you know you know all those players from back in those days. So he picked me up at the airport, and what we did is, in those days, we stayed in digs. So I stayed with a lovely old couple at a place called Kilk. I had the trial. They liked what they saw, so they signed me on a one year on a on a one year deal, and. Um, you know, it was an interesting year. Uh, but the football didn't—it didn't really suit me. The, you know, the way they played—that was in 1992. I don't think we played out from the back once the whole year. I was up against six foot four, six foot five giants. Yeah. Um, but you know, it was a great experience. We had some—we had some really, really good players um, in our team who were come towards the end of their careers. Um, you may recall Kevin. MacDonald, yep. from Liverpool. Yep. Wayne Clark oh. from
1: Everton. Oh, Wayne Clark Everton, player, yeah.
2: Yeah, and Derek Staven from West Brom and West Jowell. Brom, yeah,
1: Derek Stave. He was a yeah. left-back or something, right?
2: Yes, yes. And my best friend in that team has actually gone on to do some great things. His name is Dean Smith.
1: Oh, wow. Dean
2: Smith. Yeah, he's my best friend. Do you know was Dino came to KK two years ago with his family. He was managing Brentford at that stage. Um, but we've kept in touch over the years, and he's one of my best mates in football. So it's been really exciting to see uh, he was at Brentford, and then he got the gig at Aston Villa and got him promoted, as you know, in, in, that, in that famous playoff game. And now he's the manager in the English Premier League. So, uh, unbelievable.
1: Can you ask, Dean, if Jack Grealish is going to sign for Man United, please?
2: The male is that he is. <laughs> uh, they, were, they, were hoping to, they were hoping to at least try and keep him until the end of the season and not get relegated. But uh, yeah, I'd be very surprised if Grealish is not a Manchester United player for, for the upcoming season.
1: All right, let's go back to Scott's playing days then. Let's talk about your time in Sabah. Astonishing stats. I I, I YouTube you. I saw some of the goals. Um, that must have been y- your heyday. You must have felt like literally king at that time.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I was I was playing for this great national team when I was twenty. Um, I went to the nineteen eighty eight Seoul Olympic Games. Um, so I was twenty, and um, I had an offer from Graham Surnis to go to Glasgow Rangers, which I said no at the time because I thought I was a little bit young. I look back on that decision, and I think, wow, you know, what, what were you thinking? But um, but then suddenly, from the age of twenty two until twenty, I had a lot of injuries, and my performance wasn't, you know, to be honest with you, I was absolutely crap. Um, so, and I came to Stabber and. I was, I was really hungry. Um, I had a trial. I had a couple of trials. I went to KL and I had a trial, scored two goals, and they said no. I went to the Hung, I had a trial, scored two goals, and they said no. By this stage, I'm thinking, wow, this is a hard, this is a hard place to, to try to get a gig. And uh, finally, then I had a trial here in, in Sabah. I played like crap and they signed me straight away. So <laughs> I guess that's football for you,
1: isn't it? <laughs> in a nutshell, in a nutshell. So d- d- during those difficult times when, when you were hit with all the injuries, how does a professional player cope? It can't be very different now to how, 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 you, how you cope then. I think
2: you've got to be mentally strong. You've got to be as mentally strong as you can be. You've got to keep believing that the good times are, you know... You you have to think the good times were there once. I'm a good player. I didn't become a bad player overnight. Get your body right. Get your mind right. And what happened is just at the time that I arrived in Sabah, my body was perfect. I was hungry. My mind was, was really, really strong. And I think I joined Sabah. Just at the time when they were ready to do really, really well, so everything clicked. You know, sometimes in football, it's more luck than, you know, more luck than anything else. Um, so everything clicked, and the time was was actually right. And I came to Sabah, and I started scoring. Um, and as a striker, when you're scoring, then your confidence is up, and you think that you know, you think that you're going to score every game, and that's what happened
1: brilliant brilliant so d- during during the saba days who was the toughest opponent you you played up against
2: ah oh, for me personally it was definitely baxter rockett um,
1: why was no, he no, dirty I was, was he a dirty play player
2: no he wasn't dirty at all no no he was just he was just quick and strong and didn't give you a moment's rest you know davidson Alan d but he didn't used to mark me. Um, I think it was Ahmed Ahmed Yusuf. He used to mark me, and Devo used to play off him. So Devo was also very very tough. You know, he was an unbelievable player. He's one of the best players that I've ever played with and against. Um, but in terms of marking me one v one, Mehmet was unbelievably tough. He was just so quick and so strong, and um,
1: he just didn't he just didn't give you an inch the whole you know, for the whole game. Now, during, during your time with Saba, you, you played a, a showpiece match against the mighty Manchester United and even got on the score sheet against Peter Schmeichel. That was a, yes, they picked um, a Salangor
0: team, but they were allowed to bring in, I think, three extra foreigners. So
2: myself, Alan Davidson. No, I think it was only two, actually. Myself and Alan Davidson got called in. They already had Mehmet, David Miss David Mitchell and Joseph Biskic plus the local boys so we played against the Manchester United team and it was a strong it was a really strong team They they had from memory they had Smeichel in goals Paul Parker right back Palliser and Bruce as the two centre backs Dennis Erwin as the left back Lee Sharp wide on the left Scolese and Nicky Butt in the centre um, I think Beck's played that night out wide on the right and then Fusey and Mark Hughes, Sam, I can't remember who the last who was up front. So it was a very strong team that, that they had, you know. And they beat us four one, but I was lucky enough to score the goal. What
1: what what did you did I, I I didn't see. Did you did you have a celebration?
2: Oh, I think I just I think I was in shock when I you know, when I actually scored. What what in in the first half Davidson had the ball and he was screaming at me to actually move. So I tried to make a run across Bruce. And he didn't want to chase me, so he just shoulder-charged me. And, and he really winded me. You know when you get winded and, yeah. you, and you can't breathe properly? So second half comes along in almost the exact same situation. So what I did is, and Davidson had the ball, and he's screaming at me again to, to actually move. So I went short, and just when Davidson was about to play the ball, I went short, and then I went long. And Bruce went short, and suddenly I was in behind him. And I remember thinking to myself, the ball's played in behind Bruce, and Palace on the other side. And I, re- and I remember thinking to myself, Oh my God! I said, I said, I think I'm in here. And I'm running after the ball, and there's a hundred things going through your mind, and I just see this massive body. I see this massive body come out of the goal area, and his arms go wide to you know. And I thought to myself, How am I going to, how am I going to beat? goalkeeper in the world here and again there's a hundred things going through your mind so I said (laughs) just hit it as hard as you can hit it as hard as you can low and you know so I hit it as hard as I could low and it went in off the post so uh, I remember as it went in I thought oh my goodness I've just scored against Manchester United (laughs) so uh, that's you know something to tell the grandchildren but unfortunately we lost the game 4-1. But,
1: wow, what a memory to be able to, to, to keep in the memory banks. Brilliant stuff. Listen, we're going for another break. Uh, more from Scott Ollerenshaw right after this.
2: Because whilst he's there, it's been very difficult for other clubs to get near them. He's that good. Off
0: the ball on BFM
2: 89.9. England's highest quality title race of all time. But coming
0: out on top again in the Premier League. Chester City.
1: Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. Off the ball in lockdown. Ross here talking to Sabah legend, Scott Oleranshaw. As usual, tweet us at BFM Radio. Follow us on Instagram and on Facebook as well. It's BFM Football. Uh, we were talking just before the break to Scott about um, his time playing uh, against Manchester United. I want to still stay there, Scott, and ask you, what was the main difference, apart from physicality, I guess? What's the main difference between the Manchester United boys and your average Malaysian side?
2: I I remember that game, Ross, and um, if any of their players gave the ball away in a casual way, they tore strips off them, especially Pallister and McAllister and Smichael. Um, any of their players, because remember that Manchester United team had a lot of young players coming through, you know, they had Beckham, Scholes, you know, players of that ilk. So, um, they were all about standards, not giving it away cheaply. And if any of the players gave it away, oh my God, they just tore strips off them. So, for me, you know, their standards were very high. They put a great value on passing, on when they had the ball, passed the ball properly. You know, get into the good habits. Keep the ball, pass and move. I mean, it's not rocket science what they do, but they just do it at a certain level, and their standards are so high. You cannot give the ball, cannot give the ball away at any time. So that's what I remember from you know, from from that game.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. Let's move on to your time for, with the soccer rules. Um, you you had you had two two good years with them. I I, I somebody told me. I think it was uh, Keish who said. Ask him about Australia beating Argentina.
2: Mm, Yeah, unbelievable memory. What they had in 1988 was called the Bicentennial Gold Cup. And now it was to celebrate Australia's 100 100 years. And so they had a four-way tournament, Saudi Arabia. Interestingly enough, Saudi Arabia, Argentina, and the famous Brazil. Um, So they came over. We played against Brazil the first game of the tournament. I was on the bench for that game. We lost to them 2-0 in the first game. Second game, one of the players, John Cosmina, he got injured and I got brought in as a 20-year-old, somewhat controversially into the squad. Everybody expected that a player called Robbie Slater would. Yeah, uh, yeah. They all thought that he would be the player that would come in. I came in, played against Saudi Arabia, six minutes into into that game, scored. We won the game 3-0, free, free I think, from memory. So that set us up for the rest of the tournament. Um, that was on a Sunday. On the Thursday night, we're playing against Argentina. Uh, they had a very strong team, except without their absolute superstar at the time, which was Diego Maradona um, But apart from him It was their It was their strongest team And it was one of those Nice Ross In football Where everything That we did Turned to gold um, And we beat Argentina 4-1 um, Which then meant That we qualified For the final On the Sunday Against Brazil Again on the Sunday So Thursday night Part time footballers in Australia Have just beaten Argentina what time do you think we got home that night?
1: <laughs> Never.
2: <laughs> 5 a.m. in the morning. Wow. And then on the on, – yeah, because we'd, we'd, just beaten, we'd just beaten the world champions and there was a drinking culture at that time. And uh, we went out that night and obviously, you know, it was a, it was just an amazing time. And we played against Brazil on the Sunday and that was – in that game, um, I got rugged Davidson had the ball, passed it to Arnold. Arnold flipped it onto me, and I was in on goal. And they had a famous right-back, Jorginho. Yeah. Um, Jorginho, he did a rugby tackle on me. He got a red card, took him 10 minutes to leave the pitch. Um, at that stage, we were down 1-0 with about 25 minutes to go. And we were attacking, 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 and then Romario scored on the counterattack, and we got beat in that game to... By, by, you know, by the two goals. So, unbelievable memory, and uh, you know, I still um, have some fantastic memories about that tournament.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. Do you, do you keep in touch with any of the uh, Socceroos? Yeah,
2: yeah, I do. I mean, I mean, me and Alan, Alan Davidson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very, very close. Me and Mehmet, obviously, because he's over here. Um, but yeah, you know, we had a reunion recently, and I caught up with you know a few of the boys. So, but you know, I'd say that I'm closest to you know probably Alan Davidson. That's the one that I always keep in touch with. We we probably speak to each other at least once a week or something like that. Uh,
1: okay, Let, let's move on. Do you reckon do you reckon Australia will ever get close to winning the World Cup? Oh, I'd love to say yes, but. Uh,
2: if you look at the history of the World Cup, Ross, if I'm not wrong, only eight teams have ever won the World. Yeah, mm. have ever won the World Cup. So, uh, I think Australian football has come a long, long way. Um, the last five to six years, we're stuck in quicksand a little bit. Our youth development, and again, I get back to that. We had the Australian Institute of Sport in the 1980s, which actually produced some world-class players, Mark Paducah, Skoko, Lucas Neal, players like this, Alistair Edwards as well, for those over here. Uh, He went to the Australian Institute of Sport. But uh, for some reason, about 10 to 15 years ago, they stopped the AIS and suddenly the chain has stopped and we're not producing the players that we used to. So there's talk now of bringing back the Australian Institute of Sport, which I think would be a fantastic thing and uh, hopefully our youth development can go back to what we used to do when we can start producing those world-class players again.
1: Yeah, I, I read an article recently where Mark Viduka said he owes absolutely everything to the AIS, which is uh, amazing. And it's great. They're thinking of bringing it back.
2: It is, and you know, I mean, one of the main coaches during that time at the IAS was a coach called Rod Smith. And Malaysians, obviously, yeah, know, Ron, yeah. he, he coached Sabah, he coached Johor, and he was TD for all the FAM for a few years as well. So,
1: so all this time, you, you're moving country to country, you're playing for different clubs. Give us an idea what it takes to be a professional footballer. We, we've got we've got youngsters who, who are good at the game. I mean, how do you devote your life to it, or decide you want that as a career? How does that happen?
2: I think you know. If, if number one, you have to have the talent. There's no there's no use dedicating yourself to something if you're not good enough. But, the thing is in football, rosters is that there's tens of thousands of players that have that have a certain amount of talent. They're, they're all over the world in South America, in Europe, in Asia. Players they have a certain amount of talent. For me, it's how much do they want it. Um, you know, you, you have to become obsessed. It has to become everything in your in your whole life. It has to be number one when you're. 16, 17, 18 years old and your friends are going out having a good time and they're chasing girls and they're doing things that you know that 17 and 18 year olds do, you have to have the willpower and the strength to say no. Yeah. I'm not going out. I'm not, I'm not going to do this. I'm staying home. I've got training in the morning at eight o'clock by myself or tonight against the wall, or I'm going for a run. That's number one. You know, and number two, once you get to a certain level in the professional level, it's good. for me the word is perseverance. Yeah. You have to persevere. Um, you know, getting back to me, I was I was dropped from the Australian under 19 team by one coach His name was Les Shineflug, who well, I respect a lot. I still respect to this day, and am still call him boss when I when I actually see him. But he dropped me from the under 19 World Cup, which Australia. Had qualified for. One year later, I'm in the Australian national team. So, if my advice to the youngsters is, if one coach says to you that you're not good enough, don't don't listen to him. No one has the right to tell you that you're not good enough. Yeah. If ten coaches, if ten coaches tell you that you're not good enough, then maybe that's a maybe that's a sign. Okay. And you have to say, okay, all right. I've harnessed everything. I've done everything that I could. But these 10 coaches have all said the same thing to me. But if only one or two coaches say that you're not good enough, don't listen to them and keep going and go, go to the next club, to the next trial and keep persevering. And maybe one coach will see something in you. And when you get that chance, you have to take it. Yep. You have to take it. You know, that's the most important. But for me, perseverance, never give up until and exhaust all avenues until there's no more avenues to exhaust
1: perfectly said well said have the skill be sensible about things and, and work hard i i remember when cristiano ronaldo signed for man united as a scrawny portuguese kid with with stepovers yes. and one of the first interviews he gave was he wanted to win the ballon d'or and as a man united fan then you know what i mean they spent like 12 million on him i laughed so hard it was <laughs> but,
2: shows that, that he had ambition yeah. and um, you know one of the things I respect about about him is that his work ethic yeah his work ethic is un, unbelievable uh, you know there's always you always see him. He, he's in the gym he's doing this he's doing that and he's maintained hunger for somebody like him to have maintained that hunger when he's got all the money in the world because, again, like Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, these sort of players, he wants to be the best. Yeah. He's driven by being the best. And I think him and Messi have actually helped each other become greater.
1: Agreed. Because of
2: that rivalry. Yeah, because of that rivalry that they have.
1: Brilliantly said, sir. Right, final break. When we come back, we're going to ask Scott some of the questions you have sent me via Twitter. Stay tuned. Build a
2: mentality in that dressing room that's- strong, made them feel like they're unbeatable.
0: for coach. Off the ball on BFM
2: 89.9 The serial winner has got another trophy for the Cabinet.
0: Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks
1: for sticking with us. Uh, final, final break there. Uh, we're talking to Scott Ollerinshaw and, and thanks for all the questions you've sent in via Twitter. Um, I ask this every week when, when I have a special guest on, Scott, and and you, you've blocked my inbox, seriously. <laughs> um,
2: so, That's nice to hear.
1: Yeah, at Born to Ride uh, asks, how do you keep track of Malaysian lads abroad? Uh, which was kind of a, uh, an extension of earlier on what we talked about. Do you have scouts working for you, a
0: scout?
2: No, I don't, I don't have scouts. I mean, to be honest with you, after what happened with our friend Junior, a lot of the players contacted me. Um, but you know, then again, in the case of Matthew Davis, I had an agent in Australia, Tony Rullis, he contacted me about him. Um, so some of the players contacted me and some of them was basically through my network of people who I know through football around the world, you know, so that's how it happens with those mixed heritage players and also other players as well.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. So do, do they still contact you? Do you still get a, a barrage of half Malaysians? Yeah, they
2: still... Yeah, we, yeah, we, no, not really, because like I said earlier, I think we've exhausted most of them. I mean, there's still a few coming through, and then a few other agents have actually caught on to this, and they're out there, um, you know. I'll be honest with you, Ross, I, I struggle with... Um, with professional football at times, cause it's such, as an agent, it's such a cutthroat industry. Yeah, yeah. And it's um, not just in Malaysia, all over the world. It's a ruthless, cutthroat industry. So, um, what keeps me sane is my Borneo Cup, which is the youth international tournament that I do, and that's my love. Um, but the agency work is something that I do, but it's, it's not easy, and it's a very cutthroat, ruthless industry. But you know, obviously some good things have come of it and we've uh, brought over some players here that have made a difference. And that's the most important thing for me that they've actually come here and they've made a difference. But there's been a few lemons as well. There's been a few players that um, that haven't done done well. But I think for me, that, that is normal. That That is football all around the world. Sometimes a $100,000 player will do better than a $5 million dollar player. And that's just the reality. You can do all the research that you want. You can find out about the player, you can talk to the player, you can watch the player, but sometimes, and that's why we love football, it doesn't work out how you think it will.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. About the the Borneo Cup, is it still going? And uh, what's the quality of youngsters like? What are our local lads like? Well, in terms of
2: is it still going, yes it is, but I would... I imagine 2020 will have to take a hiatus and <laughs> um, we'll be able to run it in 2020 for obvious reasons. Uh, international travel is not going to happen, I don't think, until at least 2021. When we first started the Borneo Cup 12 or 13 years ago, the Australian teams were smashing the Asian teams, the Malaysian teams, the Thai teams, the Hong Kong teams, the Indonesian teams. And, I mean, thankfully, what's happened now is that um, what I've noticed is that the Asian teams are beating the Aussie teams. So the standard is reason, reasonably strong. And when for me, that's a sign that, players in Asia are getting better, the young players, the 12, 13, 14, 15, 16-year-olds, they are getting better, and for them now to play against these Australians and beating them, and the biggest example I can give you is you go to the international level last year, we had the Malaysian under-15 team and the Malaysian under-19 team beat Australia 3-0, both games, so for me, that's a sign that good things are happening In football, in case of the football youngsters coming through the system.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, Yeah, I actually remember watching those games and thinking the future is bright. Um, All right, more with the Twitter questions. Uh, Farish Aziz asks um, Do do you still think about that missed penalty against Pahang in 1995, that Malaysia Cup semi final? Does it haunt you at all?
2: i think about the second one more we played against pahang as he says uh mr ferris says that uh, we played against pahang in 1995 malaysia cup semi-finals at the stadium full house 25,000 in the stadium we're down one nil at home it's a bad result we get a penalty in the 90th minute Cairo, uh, uh Kyrel asman bahamud was in goals for for them um, and he's a very good goalkeeper as you know and I put it over the top. So we lost that game at home 1-0. We go to Quantan for the, reserve, for the return game. I score in the first half an hour. So it's one all All to play for. We get to the second half. Um, we get to full time. We get to extra time. It's still one all Penalty shootout. I said, I'm going first. I want to get it out of the way. Give me the ball and I missed again. So I missed two penalties in a row. And so I probably, to be honest with you, I probably think of the second one more than the first one because at least I scored the goal that got us back into the game, into the tie. But then I missed the penalty in, uh, the, penalty in the actual penalty shootout. So that really hurt. So I remember after the game I was in tears and uh, Alan Davidson, who, you know, as I said earlier, he's my best friend in football. He came up and consoled me and gave me a big hug. And... Uh, but, yeah, that's, uh, these things happen in football, I guess.
1: So nice to hear you being so frank about it. Great question, Farish. Nice one. Um, Jonathan Lim asks, uh, best Malaysian player of your era?
2: Wow. There was there were some good ones. Uh, you know, I, I played with some really good players. I played against some really good players. Obviously, Zainal and Dollar. Um, but if I'm perfectly honest, the best Malaysian player that I ever played with or against, I'd have to say Matlin Barger. Uh He was my strike partner at Sabah. Um, he scored two goals against England. I think the year before that. Um, and then when I played up front with him, I just thought to myself, "Wow, look at this boy play! He technically, skills, and for a for a small guy, he was only about five foot seven. His legs." Was so strong, so when the ball was played up to him in tight situations, he was able to keep the ball. And uh, I mean, my Bahasa was very, very bad at, at that stage. It's still not, it's still not the best now, to be honest. But um, and he didn't speak a word of English. But for some reason, when we were on the pitch, something magical happened, and we had this understanding. And uh, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have been able to achieve what I did in those first couple of years if I wasn't playing up front with him.
1: Brilliant. Brilliant! What an answer. All right, let's wrap up with Jason Dacey, who says, "Has your tennis improved?" I, I take it he beat you, <laughs> did he?
2: Well, I'll tell you the story, Ross. This was uh, pre-my. For those who know me well, know that for a lot of years I had a really bad hip. I used to walk around like the Elephant Man, uh, <laughs> and could hardly and could hardly move. And uh, we were at Jason's place one day with Gary. Gary Phillips as well. And me and Jason had a one-set match and he beat me. But I've been asking him for a rematch ever since I had my hit replacement about four or five years ago, and he keeps delaying it. So my answer to Jason is, yes, he beat me in a one-off one-set match when I had a dodge hit, but can we please have a rematch anywhere in the world? I'll even fly to Brisbane if you'll give me a rematch.
1: Jason Dacey, ball is in your court, as they say. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant, Scott. Brilliant stuff. It's been so much fun talking to you. Uh, thanks so oh, much I've for taking it time.
2: Ross. It's
1: been Listen, you, you hang in there. I'm sure things are going to get back to normal soon. It's feeling like it. So hang in there and thanks again.
2: Cheers, Ross. All, all the best, mate. Thank you.
1: The great Scott show. Um That's it for this Monday evening. You guys have a great day. And safe week. I know MCO's lifted a bit, but, you know, common sense should prevail. Uh, I'll be back on Friday with all the news of the the week for you. Until then, stay safe and uh, have a great week. Bye-bye.
2: Off the Ball, every Monday on BFM 89.9.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast.